Hi, I'm Stage and Stage's Lin-Manuel Miranda, and you're listening to The Hamilcast. Boots and cuts and boots and cuts. <laughs> <laughs> Hey friends, you're about to hear the first half of my conversation with Alex Brightman. On a rainy Monday night in February, we sat down together on Alex's day off from Beetlejuice at the Winter Garden Theater. And in the time since we recorded this, the world has changed a lot. We'll get into this a lot more in episode two, but Beetlejuice was scheduled to leave the Winter Garden Theater on June 6th. With Broadway announcing that it'll stay dark until June 7th, Beetlejuice has officially closed at the Winter Garden, which sucks. The good news is that the 2021 tour is still happening, and from what I'm reading on the Broadway news sites, the show's producers are hoping they can find another theater for when everything is up and running again. But we won't know anything about that for a while. Anyway, all this to say, well, yeah, some of what we talk about might be a little dated. My hang with Alex is still super fun and super interesting, and I'm really excited to share it with you. All right, so here we go. Please enjoy part one of my conversation with Alex Brightman. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Hamilcast. I am Jillian, and I don't know how it happened, but Alex Brightman is here in my living room. I don't know how it happened either, but Twitter, you have my family hostage, <laughs> and I have to do this interview and until you let them go. Yeah, Kevin. <laughs> Kevin. Kevin is... Actually, Kevin's on your side. Kevin got me here. Yeah, Kevin the dog um, was invited, but you decided that maybe... You know Kevin better than anybody. I do. So if you think that maybe he wouldn't be into it, I'm not one of those people who's going to pout about that. I want what's best for Kevin all the time. No, he's he is, um, I imagine, sleeping, as he does about 20 hours of the day I just in his him. crate with his um, dinosaur plush that squeaks. His name is Dickie Dino. Dickie Dino. Yep. I grew up having Ellie the elephant, so I really I relate to that. Do we have an elephant? Yet we have so thing. many toys. Kevin and I haven't come. No, we have Mikey the monkey. We have Dickie Dino. Uh-huh. We have Eyeless Silas. It's a dog that he ripped the eyes out of, so Great. we call them Eyeless Silas. <laughs> we have Pig Fieri. It's a pig that looks like Guy Fieri. Great. Uh, I think that's... There's a lot. He has we have big spiky hair. His, it's actually like actually meant to look like Guy, that's Guy Fieri. Um, Very loud yeah. shirt. We have boxing gloves. Oh my God. It's so many things. Does he like the toys? I don't know. Okay. Because some dogs are just like, thanks. He's like mom, lukewarm. Except, He'll yeah. every once in a while get like kind of a thing going on where he kind of will play with things and pretend they're scary and I'll throw them. And it it only lasts about 30 seconds. Great. I can't wait to make the Broadway Dogs podcast one day, which this is slowly becoming. <laughs> it's slowly That's a great idea. <laughs> I would happily bring Kevin back to that. Great. Yeah. Or I'll come to you. Um, <laughs> That's fine. I'll talk to his agent. Yeah. Alex Brightman, uh, you play Beetlejuice currently. Uh, yes. Tony nominated also for uh, Dewey Finn in yes. School of Rock. Wicked. I'm not going to go through your whole resume. I wasn't, you're yeah, I wasn't Brightman. Tony nominated for Wicked, but I was. Yeah, I was. <laughs> I was for two years. Yeah. Two full years. No, and I had a clean shaven face. Because Bach is that, yeah, he has a sweet little. Oh, he's adorable. And then I changed, like, right (laughs) when that show, when I left that show, my whole body and face and mindset changed. I turned into a totally different person. You turned into Dewey Finn. I literally, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, So we have a lot to talk about. We're going to talk about Save Beetlejuice. Okay. And Beetlejuice. And we're going to talk about Hamilton and we're going to talk about Kevin as much as you want. But we have a cocktail here first. (laughs) Just going to, I will stop that, I promise. No, I like it. Um, Mention Kevin more times. Kevin, I love you. I said before we before I hit record, I was like, I know it might sound weird, but just tell him I love him and that I want his face to be next to my face. It's a good face to have next to right. yours. I can attest. Okay, great. Um, we have a, a, a mocktail turned cocktail here. Um, it was su- <laughs> supposed to be green. I'm calling uh-huh. myself out. It's not. Um, it's not. The sentiment was pure, but... Thank you. But the drink is clear. Right. But, well, the, but the name of it is, uh, it's the guide to the other side. Oh, I like that. Right? Because, thank you. Um, because there's a lot of other side stuff. Like Hamilton is also a show about death. <laughs> 
Yes. <laughs> and there are a lot of references to the other side. That's and right. So I just thought that would be a, oh, a that's good interesting. way to kind of combine combine the two things we're talking about here. I like it a lot. Or two of the things we will be talking about. Yeah. Great. I like it. Awesome. And it's also tasty. That helps. Yeah. I find that helps. Can I just say, if any, I don't know if anyone's brought this up before on your many, many episodes, but uh-huh. you lay out quite a spread. Thank you. You, you do. I want to just, for the listener, there's fruit, charcuterie, <laughs> cheese, and, and crudite. You've touched none of it. I've touched none of it, but that's because no one wants to hear chewing on a podcast. Um, well, you know, I... Uh, I might eat at, after it's over or take a... Uh, yeah, cheese salami cigar to go. Let's do it. Yeah, okay. whatever you whatever you want to do. Well, it started. Well, part, I mean, I try to have snacks, and most of the time people don't touch them. Um, but Lynn, <laughs> when when Lynn took a sip of the drink uh, that Mike made for him, it was he came over at one in the afternoon, and he was like, "This is really good." However, I haven't eaten enough. Yeah. So if you guys have uh, some snacks, and so Mike made popcorn. Hence, hashtag popcorn chomp was born because popcorn it, is probably the worst thing to give a guest on a podcast. I would say that is second to maybe a bagel with cream cheese. Sure. Two of my favorite things. Yeah. But imagine that kind of slurping going on. Yeah. And so the popcorn chomp, but I was like, Lemon Miranda's here, like casually eating popcorn. I, I'm going to choose as the audio person to not care about no, it. You let him do that. Right. So now, so popcorn is also a thing that I have anyway. How I are like you, it. Alex Brightman? I'm happy. I'm good. I'm I'm very relaxed. It's my day off. Yeah, it's rainy. So thank you for coming and trekking. Well, I, I if this if this podcast was outside, I would have canceled. But it's inside, so I'm very happy to be here. You know, you make a good point. Yeah, you make a good point. No, nope. and you're cool, and you're wearing uh, you got cool funky hair, and you got our you got our Beetlejuice shirt on. Oh, so I'm thanks. very very honored to be here. Oh well, thank and also you. I like the Hamel cast. So oh well, that's very nice of you to say. Thank sure. you for doing that. Pleasure. Um, you also oh my god co-op. I thought I was going to forgot to mention. So here's a funny thing. I love co-op so fucking much. I'm so glad. Ashley was on the pod, I think before the new year and we shouted you out. I was like, Alex Brightman, please come over. And it's been like just a couple months and you're here. So no way. Um, (laughs) But I texted Ashley because I sent you screenshots of uh, like in our Twitter DMs. I was like, just, you know, no bullshit. Like my best friend is quoting co-op to me just out of nowhere, not even knowing that we were, this was in the works. And so I was like, dude, Brightman's coming over at four. I'm so scared. I'm going to forget about co-op. And she goes, I'll just text you co-op gifts to keep it in your brain. That is hysterical. Um, so that's a thing. The brown that, and the beige. The brown and the beige. Renee Elise Goldsberry is perfect in that. All day, baby. The brown and the beige. I can picture that studio fitted out with my style. A brown and beige kind of mood, you know, and metro hex green tile. A frame never to lova hanging just above the sofa. And the brown and the beige and the brown and the beige and the brown. In the kitchen hang copper pans against the paneled wall. And I have to say, I go around singing that the fact of the matter is that I've done a little cocaine tonight. More often than I should. Me too. I'm trying to relax, but instead I keep finding that I'm sweating through my brow and my teeth what's up grinding in my mouth was as dry as the sand of the Sahara, so I miscalculated and I jugged down a sherry. The whole room's spinning and I want to take a knee, but instead I'll sneak a bump as I hide behind the tree. I'm really very sorry that I can't stop talking. I'm so very sorry for my chirping and my squawking, but the fact of the matter is I did a little cocaine tonight. started real and they kept getting realer i'm gonna i'm gonna say something here please i think that episode of documentary now is a is like a holiday classic that's awesome i think you should add it to your list of things that you watch whatever you watch if you watch elf whatever yeah. add add co-op uh, wow 
to that list because it's so many of the songs are Christmassy. They are, and I and uh, you're not. A, I mean, a lot of people feel that way, and most notably Seth Meyers. Seth Meyers called, yeah, we, when I did his show, when I went, went on and, and interviewed, and then yeah. you can look it up. Uh, I also, uh, I am in, uh, uh, I owe you a debt of gratitude. Uh, we have this show called Documentary Now. Such and a good show. We did a, an episode this year that was a, uh, we were a fake musical, uh, and it was the cast recording of this musical, and we were just trying to find people we loved who uh, could sing, <laughs> and, uh, and we asked you to do it, and you were so quick to say yes, and I can't thank you. I, it, you uh, the email came through. And it said Richard Kind and John Mulaney, and I, whatever came after that, and then your name was on board. I was like, any you could be like drilling to the center of the earth. I'd be like, sure, with those guys, no problem. <laughs> uh, I, it was a Sondheim-inspired uh, musical, and because of that, there are uh, Sondheim-type songs. Yep. Uh, the song you sang is very fast, yes, uh, very pacey, and uh, I was not there on the recording day, but I cannot tell you the joy I felt the first time I watched you sing it. And we have a clip uh, <laughs> yes. just to show your skill with a very fast song. Yes. Here's Alex Brightman uh, singing Holiday Party. If I'm being honest, it was all very harrowing. When the invite came for an evening of caroling, I don't like singing. I'm not much for conversation, and the combo of the two gave me such hesitation. I took a little something just to dull all the edges. Either that or I was certain to be jumping off the ledges. I'm really quite sorry, but I'm going to admit it. I'm really so sorry. If I could, I would quit it. But the fact of the matter is I did a little cocaine tonight. Classic. Thank you. So holiday, holiday classic. classic. Yes. And he says an instant holiday classic. And that was the first time I'd ever thought about it as like, oh my God, that's right. It's true. This is about like, yeah. Because that's my Well, the song right. is called Holiday Party. Right. <laughs> and then there's Christmas tips. Hello, Robbie. Hello. Welcome home, Mr. and Mrs. What is this? I'll tell you, this is just a package I've been holding. It's addressed to Mrs. Goldstein. What a co-op, what a lobby. Every slob is acting snobby. But you take a tip from Robbie, you should tip your doorman. The holidays are scary, all the secrets that I carry. One slip of the lip is scary, cause tomorrow you're not married. I open the door, give kids high fives. One, two, three, I open the door, and I watch your lives and the things you do. So you better tip me, cause I watch your lives. Take a look at last year's tip. Christmas tips, which is easily the best. Richard Kind. <laughs> That's how you do Allegra. I can I can go on. He is one of my favorite. He was one of the best like by products of doing that because we became friends and so we go to like Chinese food on the Upper West Side now really? so I and all I do is just bait him into stories I just ask him questions about old Hollywood stuff and anybody he knows everybody because right. he's worked on everything and I'll just like literally feed him into like so bing bong talk to me about <laughs> you know what why did you get cast and he just goes oh don't get me started okay it's it's okay here it's and, and he just continues and you know mouthfuls of Chinese food and it's like bliss that sounds truly heavenly. That was, I know we have lots more to talk about, but that truly was like three, we did three days of shooting in Portland, Oregon. Um, Cause that's where um, that their company is like the Fred Armisen's oh, yeah, yeah. company uh, who does documentary now yeah. uh, is there where they also do obviously Portlandia. Um, and we shot, we rehearsed for a day and shot and then we shot for two days and it was so sad on the last day because I just never wanted it to end as yeah. somebody who loves comedy and does comedy. That is the ultimate comedy fantasy camp for somebody like me. And then on top of that, it was a musical. Right. So it was like every possible thing. I thought I was like dying and they were giving me some sort of like last like wish thing. Like they were like, <laughs> why don't we just make an episode so Alex can ha like be surrounded by yeah. his comedy idols it and icons. It like every box on the Alex Brightman yeah. list. Yeah. It was like, yeah, you just get to casually work with John Mulaney and Taron Killam oh, right, and right. James Urbaniak and Paula Pell. <laughs> 
and all these other musical icons. It was like amazing. Renee Elise Goldsberry, and yeah, it's just just truly incredible. Was Bill Hader? Because I know Seth writes for a documentary now. Obviously, it's like his thing. Yeah, and pre- and he's one of the executive producers. Yeah, yeah, it's his his. Yeah. And then uh, was Bill Hader around by so any So that chance? season was because they did, it was a third season, but they had taken a big year long break. And I think that this know, this third season was a bit of a surprise. Yeah. I, I, and so. Yeah. I love documentary now. So me much. too. So what happened is because Bill uh, was doing Barry on Another HBO. Great one. Oh, my God. It's so good. I could talk about that for Henry the rest Winkler, of this please. podcast. I can't. It's so good. His, it's an amazing show, but it, it's, it made him exclusive to HBO, oh. so he couldn't really be all the way there for all the episodes, and neither and Fred, I think, kind of I, from what I heard, they were like, well, if we can't do it together, let's just not, let's make the whole third season almost like a rep company. Mm. So like they just kind of siphoned in all these amazing cool. people. So the third season is, is almost no... Bill and Fred. There's there's Fred and a little bit of it. I think there's Bill and one or none. I don't think. Any, I think he's in any. Yeah, maybe he's in none of them because I, I think, think he truly was exclusive. But what that was cool. It opened up for them to like fully cast episodes with like everybody. Yeah, and cool that they were just like, all right, well, let's just do this. Let's just bring in. Well, I know that Mulaney and and Seth Myers are both obsessed with musical theater, and Mulaney yes. in particular is obsessed with Sondheim. Yeah. So. It was perfect. The company documentary was such a huge thing for him. So it was almost a no-brainer. I think they had this idea with the creators and executive producers and directors from season one. I mean, I think they had this idea that they wanted to do and just kind of couldn't get there from what I was told. So I was just very, I hit a very nice spot yeah. in my career where it was like it had lined up where I had done Beetlejuice enough and John Mulaney and Nick Kroll had seen a lot of the workshops because they knew Alex Timbers from Oh Hello. Yes. So then I did Oh Hello during when I was in School of Rock, right. I was the guest on Too Much Tuna live on Broadway <laughs> to where I met John again and we had he'd come to see Beetlejuice and so I, I was must have been fresh in their mind. Yeah. So yeah. I came back from my honeymoon to an email I didn't check my email to an email that usually you get as an actor. It's like, so here's a script, um, and you're gonna have an appointment coming up to audition for the role of so and so, whatever. Right. So I read this email down. I was like, oh my god, I'm auditioning for documentary now. This is incredible. And then I read the email again, and it wasn't an audition. It was an offer. What? And so, I, and I literally just, I, I almost like just kind of forewent it because I was like, I'll wait till I get a date to audition. And and then I sort of read it back, and it said for the role of this, which you've been offered. <gasps> and I like lost it. And I and I, I was like, this is the best thing to happen to me. And I'd like just come back from my honeymoon. Yeah. <laughs> I know getting married is great, but this was incredible. No, it's great. Yeah. And it's also, it's, it's great that you like, we're just not working or checking emails on your honeymoon. That's it. No, that's a big no, no. Yeah. I don't think anybody should do that. Put them in the safe. It's hard. I'm I'm with you. You know, it's hard to take that time. I'm with you. I feel very strange when I don't open my computer and like, don't, I don't, I'm not listening to the voices in my head all day. I'm with you though. It's hard. It's tough. But I will, that's how my wife and I, and how I like to vacation, which is like put everything in the safe. Yeah. And just keep cash on you and just kind of like do a crossword puzzle. Uh-huh. Read a book. Yeah. Look what, at the ocean. So I don't know, like, I don't know how we want to start. Do we? You said you had a great Hamilton story. Should we get into your Hamilton story first? Uh, I mean, I pick one. I have like, I have like 300 Hamilton stories because that was the same year we opened School of Rock. So we were in the same season. Right. So Hamilton opened the same season School of Rock opened. And Hamilton was, you know, this, you know, this like monsoon that hit Broadway. And School of Rock was this show that from inception to Broadway was under a year. So nobody even knew we were kind of even going to hit Broadway until it was too late. Mm. So it was cool to be in the same season as Hamilton. It was, there was cachet 
in being another big show in that season. Right. You know, because what was great about it is was you can't get a ticket to Hamilton, come to School of Rock. Yeah, And that right? really helped us. Totally. It did. It was like, you know, and a lot of shows um, ended up kind of, you know, they, they, as most shows do in those things, they were closed out, you know, by... Yeah the big juggernaut shows and slowly but surely we became the other big show on Broadway that season, yeah. which was great. Um, and so, you know, that was the, the, my big Hamilton story is when I got nominated was I got nominated with Lynn and Leslie. Yeah. And I was such big fans of them anyway, without knowing them at all. So then to like have to be forced to spend a month doing press with some of the coolest people on the planet. Yeah. And again, I shouldn't, I should not uh, uh, forget that it was also Zachary Levi and Danny Burstein. Right. Absolutely. So it was just this f- group of five menches who do yeah. theater for the right reasons. Yep. And also are just genuinely cool people. It was such a blast. But also, it again, this is all I do. If I'm in close proximity with somebody like Lynn Manuel Miranda or Leslie Odom Jr., anybody like that, it is my job in my head to get as much information out of them as possible. Because I, I believe that if someone is better than you, or you believe someone is better than you in some, in some certain way, in some specialized way, your goal is not to go, ugh, I hate them, or they're, you know, I just, ugh, whatever. My goal is to just, I'm like, tell me everything. Yeah. Tell me how you do what you do, and that kind of stuff. And so just being able to, like, every other day get to be chummy with them is its own Hamilton story for me. Sure. Um, but then, you know, you find out that thing that nobody wants to find out and then everyone wants to find out, which is that they're just normal people. And I think that it's worth the saying yes, out absolutely. loud. Yes. That like Lin-Manuel Miranda seems like he'd be one of those guys that like sleeps in a hyperbaric chamber and is woken by two servants mm-hmm. and, and is propped up against a chair. And then that's when he does his tweeting for five minutes and then he's transported to here where he does this. But the dude just is good at scheduling. Yeah. He's just an amazing human being who has scheduled his life within an inch of, it, within an inch of its life and is succeeding in it because he's loving it. Not because he has to do it, mm-hmm. because he loves it. And that's ridiculously inspiring for me. Yeah. For somebody who feels like I do a ton also, when I watch the things he does, it's infuriating how much he gets done in a certain day. Yeah. Whereas I'm sitting on my couch watching like the same episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm, which happens to have him on it. Yeah. The shocker. <laughs> the shocker. I just met Steven Weber like three weeks ago. He was at our show. And I, I said to him, I said, I know you were in Wings. I know you were in a lot of things. Totally. But I just watched the shocker episode and you were fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, come on. And the uh, way he says in the episode, Lin-Manuel Miranda. <laughs> it's which, fantastic. I don't have any access to getting you tickets to Hamilton. Okay. It's most unfortunate. And why is, why is that? It'd be a shame if Lin-Manuel Miranda ever found out that someone was falling asleep in his show. I'll uh, see what I can do. Super. Um, you know, and it's also Lynn, Lynn, there are no illusions about that in the, in the sense that Lynn has, has tweeted like, I know you guys think I have a time turner. That was the big joke. Like he has a Harry Potter time turner, right? Which like, makes a lot of sense totally. if that were to be true. But he's like, yeah, and here it is. And it was, I remember it was a picture of like a table full of his people. And yes, I remember that picture. You know, and just saying like- Team, team Miranda. Like this is how it happens. And yep. so I was talking, it's so funny because I was talking to our friend Patrick Hines about yeah. this um, off air, just we, we were catching up or whatever. And it, I think the thing, it started with like that mug or that meme where it was like, you have the same amount of hours a day as 
Beyonce. The same amount of hours in the day as Beyonce. Sure. And then it became the same amount of hours in the day as Lin Manuel Miranda. Yeah. But it's like Beyonce has people to do a lot of That's things right. for her. Beyonce yeah. isn't like picking out her outfits in the morning. Maybe she is, but for yeah. the, like what that meme is trying to say is just not true. No, that's right. It's just not true that's at correct. all. Um, so to put that pressure on you is like, oh shit, <laughs> now right. I have to like drop a secret album and like do all this, like put all that's on right. these badass performances. And Patrick was like, you know who I think is like driven the most crazy by that meme? Lin-Manuel Miranda. Probably. Like, he, because yeah. he, he posts things where he's like, you guys, I just like, I have a deadlines and I he has to get remove Twitter from his phone to get shit done. Sure. And he posts pictures of teams. And I just think that's important. Like that meme, it bothers me. I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, it should bother you. Yeah. It's, 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 we're all human beings. I think he's a good example of like even, even the most amazing uh, multifaceted people still want to sleep in some days and, yeah. and you know don't want to get their own coffee you know whatever but yeah, it's totally it's he's amazing my other um uh hamilton story is that i didn't see hamilton for such a long time mm -hmm. because i was in a show and we had the same schedule and also i didn't have four million dollars to buy a ticket sure at the time yeah and so i and very much lucking out after school of rock was over so i i waited this like painstaking year almost two years before I saw Hamilton. I'd, I'd memorized the soundtrack. Right. The soundtrack, the cast album, the soundtrack, whatever. You know what I'm talking about. Whatever you want to say, I defer I know. People, to the person. I know that people get, like, people get like, it's not a soundtrack. It's it's like an original cast album, a recording. <laughs> but there are tons of Broadway people. Relax, everybody. Who call it a soundtrack. <laughs> and every time I hear it, I'm just like, you yeah. guys, it happens. The like, Hamilton disc. The Hamilton, yeah. The but I listened to it like crazy. I knew it like everybody else did. Yeah. And I knew the show, but I didn't know anything about the show because I hadn't seen it. And I don't like to look at bootleggy stuff, and mm -hmm. it's not my jam. But then I saw it, and my friend Ben Crawford, who is currently the Phantom of the Opera, <laughs> he is really dear friends with Brian Darcy James, and he was in as the King um, at, in this in this moment in this time. He had come back in for a a, number, a, a, a moment in the show as to play King George the <laughs> Third. Yes, um, King George question mark. And he got great seats, and he's like, "Do you want to come with me?" And I said, "Yes." And then I watched the first act, and then I remember so vividly, lights come up for the intermission, and I turn to my friend Ben, and I'm leaking. I'm like, I have like full like shock tears in my eyes, mm -hmm. not from emotion, just from pure. Uh, uh, I was blown back into my seat from this show, and I turned to Ben, and the only words I could mutter was, "I said, oh, I get it. It's a perfect musical." <laughs> oh, I get it oh. now. But I, I did it, you know, because you when hype happens, you get suspicious. And I was like, I'm sure it's good because I also loved In the Heights and, and, and I just know how prolific and wonderful he is and the people in it are. But you have to at some point be a little cautious. If it's this good, you're like, all right, what's Kool-Aid is everyone drinking? But then you see it and you go, nope, it is exactly the thing that has been advertised. Yeah, It's it, the greatest thing it, I've seen it, in a long time. Yeah, it got to a point where like, almost like Beatlemania is downplaying it. It got to a point where it was so ridiculous. And I'm saying that as someone who started the podcast in January of 2016 without having seen the show. Like, sure. I, I understand right? how this sounds. Yeah, without having I didn't know seen that. It. That's funny. Um, yeah, so I, I know how this sounds coming from me of all people but I'm just saying it got to a point where it was so ridiculous where people were saying to me like one what can you possibly be saying week after week about this thing and two like there's just no way it's that like there's just no way <laughs> when it when it hit that point and I can't tell you the month or the, either yeah. in the middle of the Tonys or whenever it was but I was like I, and my thing is like okay like you can hate I'm not it's not my job to convince anyone to <laughs> like it I don't care what you right. have to say about it but it did get to a point where people were just like really yeah i was one of those people i yeah. was like i was like i need to see this thing before i start resenting it because it was i was insane 
and then I became Team Hamilton all the way. I, I, I would love to know. Maybe you know this answer. I would love to know from the horse's mouth, Horse Manuel Miranda. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what part of the show now that is like the frozen Hamilton show, mm-hmm. the one that is like now and forever playing as Hamilton, what is one part he is like not thrilled about? Oh. Do you know this answer? Uh, no, I don't. I, that's like one question I think now with some hindsight, I would love mm. to be like, what? not one part, oh, you'd wish you'd change. What part, if you watch it, you go, oh, mm. I hate this part. Because there's got to be one. And if there isn't, I'll also accept it, but I'm suspicious. <laughs> yeah, because then it's <laughs> There's like- got to be something he wakes up to every once in a while and goes, I really wish I didn't dot, dot, dot. And I want to know it so badly. Um, I don't know. Just as a fascinating point. I truly don't know. Yeah, no. I'm that well, transparent on this thing. I'll I, ask I, I don't him. Know. Ask next him. Time he, next time he pees in my bathroom. That's the other fun story. That's the other thing. So yeah. this was at... Yeah, you have to tell the story because this, this is like is, Twitter lore. At oh, this, this point. was the best. This but is this ridiculous. was also incredible because he had. Uh, we both. It's funny because this actually, both of us had a similar thought. He's just the one that tweeted it. It was like, I'm looking for like he's like rating these bathrooms. He's like there should be an app or he was saying some kind of like thing about bathrooms in Midtown. That's another curb joke. That's a curb your enthusiasm. That's right. When they had the Seinfeld reunion. That's, that's how right. They that's had right. It, that's right. That's what like George made to that's make right. all his money. Yeah. It's the be- that's exactly right. Yeah. So it's. We, you know, I, and I just sort of errantly tweeted, like, you know, anytime you're at the Winter Garden, you can, if, if you want, you can just pee in my bathroom and I have a private bathroom in my dressing room. And he was like, uh, he's like, don't think I won't take you up on that. And I was like, no problem. He's like, it's sincerely no problem. And then we let it go. And then he saw the show, which was awesome. And it's always nice to have him there. Uh, and we were on stage hanging out and chatting. And he said, my friend has to pee. Is there a bathroom? And as he said it, we both locked eyes, both remembering this Twitter thing. And then he said, and it was so good. He just, we locked eyes without having to even mention the thing on Twitter. He goes, I love to close a Twitter loop. (laughs) He goes, can we, can we use your bathroom? I said, I said, nothing would make me happier to close this loop, to really say that we actually did the thing that we talked about. So he, we, they both peed and then he, and then he fake peed. If anyone, anyone that has seen the photo of him peeing in my bathroom, because there is one, I'm also in the bathroom (laughs) there, thumbs upping. Um, And, it is. I can guarantee you that that is the posed picture. He is not. In, he's not currently peeing in that picture. Yeah, I, I mean um, that's very clear. I, think. I don't know. Just in, in case you anyone's really getting off to the you idea know. that that was going on, I can. <laughs> Look, I would not I can dash those dreams. Past them. <laughs> no, but it was great. That was like such a wonderful, fun, friendly, like cheeky moment that just wouldn't have happened if years back we were nominated you know we got to spend time together i don't think he would have just done that it was really nice to sort of like be like chummy with somebody genuinely and actually do something that was just kind of for us but definitely for like that whole thing yeah it was a blast that was so much fun i didn't know that the tony nominees are uh however you worded it like forced to spend just like that much time together you do a lot of the same things so you do a lot of like the press junkets and brunches and there's like of course there are like the the tony luncheon where like you you go and you sit with like they sit you with not who you're not they sit you with like brian cranston Oh. And Laurie Metcalf. Oh. And but also they'll sit you with like designers who you've Great. wanted to work with forever. And like, but all the tables are very mixed, so it's very nerve-wracking. Yeah. yeah. But and then it's very, but then it's very leveling because everybody's so excited for you as much as you are excited for them. Right. And again, it's all about the humanizing thing. Like, I think it is so important that people understand that like at some point during the meal, someone had to tell Laurie Metcalf there was spinach in her teeth. Sure. That's you know? a, that's a real friend. 
that's a real friend. But that's just, you know, it's like just to say that like these aren't just people that are like laughing and counting their money and, you know, like polishing (laughs) their awards. It doesn't, it's not a thing. The idea that Laurie Metcalf is like dancing all the way, like laughing all the way to the bank, like, ha ha ha. I do have, I do have one quick Laurie Metcalf story from when I was in Wicked. Great. So Rondi Reed. Who was in? Who was who won for August Osage County? Yes, um, played Madame Morrible for a good chunk when I was there, and she's so excellent. Mike did a show with her. No at way, MCC. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh, at, she, at, at Irish Rep. I'm sorry. I'm she's sorry. the greatest, yes, and yes. so so amazingly like like really like wonderfully snide and just like my type of person, really sarcastic and sardonic, and she had won this Tony. And then she's playing Madame Morrible. Laurie Metcalf and all of the Steppenwolf people come to see the show like one by one. Like the steady drumbeat of Steppenwolf people come, which is blowing my mind. I'm seeing all these incredible people come through the halls of the Gershwin Theater. And then Laurie Metcalf comes. And I'm, I don't know, 20 at this point. And I see Laurie Metcalf walking with Rondi Reed down this principal hallway. And I'm like, my mind is exploding. And they get to Rondi's door and she goes, oh, just, she goes, just mind the doorstep, Laurie. The door, the doorstop. And Lori looks down, and she had doorstopped her door with her Tony Award. And Lori goes, "Oh fuck you, Rondi." <laughs> <laughs> but it also—it's like when I when you're that young, and I was one of those people, even though I was in a Broadway show that was like, "There, these people are intangible." They're mm-hmm. like, "That's Lori Metcalf." In that moment, I went, "Oh no, we all have diarrhea sometimes." Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. Like literally, like nobody Beyonce may not have ten thousand the same amount of hours as us, but she definitely has diarrhea. Sure. For sure. Yeah. So you know, there's not enough weirdly, money you can make to not have diarrhea. It's true. It's yeah. a weirdly comforting thought. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a lot of words, but it's also a little comforting. It's very comforting. You know. Anyway, that was my one my Laurie Metcalf story, and for some reason, my Siri just came on during that. <laughs> um, it's the Russians. Were you? It totally is the Russians. Um, where were we? I don't know. Uh, we were talking about Tony season and all that. Oh yeah, but we can move on from that. If yeah. you want to. Tony seasons are fun. They're they're they're, fun. they're um. I mean, it's you legitimately have no sleep. You're on. You're running. I, I like to put this on the record is that because it's happening twice now and I've I've had a chance to luckily be nominated twice so to go through it twice I could, some things are very constant you go oh so this is a real thing yeah. this wasn't just a, an anomaly because it was a Hamilton season it was it happens every season which is you get nominated because a lot of people think you did a good job right mm-hmm. and then enough people think you did a good job they want to tell people about it on a <laughs> more national platform sure and then they single you out in one of five great um and then what happens after that until the Tony Awards is every nominator or voter gets to see you at your worst. <laughs> it's so weirdly as backwards. You do all this like amazing or try to mm. do this amazing work to hopefully get some type of accolades, even if it's just verbal, you know, like nice reviews or people like what you do mm-hmm. or keep the show open. That's like the greatest one you can have. Uh-huh. And then when you get nominated, you're doing hours and days and it's all fun of press and then at the end of your day, of all of that, you hear a half hour call and you have to do your show. So you're running on complete fumes by the middle of the day. So right. by the time you get to the show, you're like, there's all these voters out there that are going to see me like yeah. half asleep, <laughs> trying my best to get this voice happening. Right. And, you know, it just, it seems like, I don't know. I don't know what other way they would do it, but it is one of those things now having done it twice. You're like, how does anybody win anything at this point? Because yeah. we're all exhausted. Yeah. Do you think like there must be a better way? I, mm, I, I don't just know. don't know what it is. Like, I don't know. I always think I always think that it would be really fun if they didn't tell anybody who was nominated and then just on the night they someone won. I think that'd be kind of cool. Like you didn't know you were even campaigning for anything. Uh-huh. You just did your show because you liked it. And then on June 6th or whatever, June 10th, whatever it is, that that night you get invited a week before Mm-hmm. So then you're like, a week before you knew, oh, I maybe I guess I was nominated. 
Okay. And then you arrive and you're in a tux and then you're in the seat and they like, here are the nominees, which is its first surprise. Right. You're in the audience going, oh my God, I was nominated. Holy shit. And then, and here's the winner. Right. So it's only like a, a week long stress. As opposed to... A like, month long yeah. stress, Ugh. which I think, I don't know, maybe that would be kind of fun because then you just would do a good job all the time because right. I do think there are people that maybe are like, I'm going to do it tonight because I heard there's like 10 voters here and it's like, you oh. should be doing that every single night. I agree. I know, but uh, but there's not, you know, bro- it's very easy Broadway, to say like, on my floor. Bra- Broadway, like, like any theater or like any job or like anything in life. There's it takes different strokes for different folks. There's yeah, yeah. all types of people run this world. There are people in Broadway shows that are incredible and passionate. There are people that are in Broadway shows that are incredible and not passionate. Yeah. There are people in Broadway shows that are passionate and not incredible. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I mean there's all types of people that make a show run like that. So I always am like a proponent of being like, you should always just do the show that you did on opening night because that's the show that people are telling their friends to see. So right. you don't let them down. Yeah. It's also like you mentioned reviews, and I think reviews are kind of not always that great. No, and they're I th- bullshit. I think there's like, I think reviews are missing like a lot of context, and I don't know if I'm articulating. No, this that's right. Right, they are. Like you come and you watch it, and then you write this thing about it, and for some reason, for a lot of factors, it does matter, but. Less and less, but yeah, and I think like it's what's interesting is it's live theater. A movie is never going to change. So you watch a movie, you can review the movie the day it comes out, and then if you watch it six months from then, the movie hasn't changed. So someone, the reviewer is reviewing the finished product. Sure. Any live theater is never finished. It's never going to be the same. Even if it's the same line said almost identically, it can't be the same because it's a different audience every night, living a different day with different baggage. Yeah. And so it's a weird to me that it gets reviewed in the way it is starting to get reviewed, which is like, this is the worst show I've ever seen. You're like, it's dude, so clickbaity. But first, like- but here's my biggest, if anyone wants any sort of reason to not read reviews, um, and I don't typically read them. I never read them if I'm in the show, but I typically don't even try to read them in general. But here's why. If somebody says like, oh, the New York Times hated, I don't know, it was just Beetlejuice. The New York Times hated Beetlejuice. My response to them would be, no, they didn't. One person, mm-hmm. one evening, on one certain day of their life where they might have waken up, woken up on the wrong side of the bed and their kid was making you know, a mess and they came to the show steamed because it was raining and they didn't bring their raincoat, that is the one person reviewing the show that will then be read by millions of people who will then make a snap judgment of whether you want to see a show. So I think reviews, smart reviews, will let you know I did, did or did not like the show. Mm-hmm. I think that's important in a review. I think you that is. Not say that. I do. I, no, I think a lot of reviews now are. <laughs> they're more like a uh, intelligence sort of billboard. Like, here's what I understood about the show, uh-huh. and here's my intelligence on display, oh, and gross. a lot of big words and metaphors that I can use to make my point clear. Sure. And I read a lot of the reviews that I've read recently. A lot of them, I I could get to the end of it and go, I'm not even hundred percent sure he liked it or didn't. I don't have no idea. Yeah. Or she, and I, I just was like, it's. It would be very helpful if the the, the top of the review to say. Before we get anything out of the way, I liked it. Yeah. <laughs> Having said that. Having said that, here's the things I understood. Here's my critiques, whatever, you know, whatever. That would be very helpful. I, I agree. Think. But I think a lot of reviews are like, here's my brain on display and like it or not, here it is. Yeah. And I don't read reviews either. If there's a show that seems interesting to me, I'm going to go see it. I don't really care about the reviews, but they are, are they getting meaner or is it me? They feel mean, like for the sake of being mean yeah. and getting clicks. And that to me just feels like that is kind of not what we're trying to do. No, here. they do. You know, it's interesting. I was talking, I was actually talking to my wife about this and I, I hope I'm not misquoting her, but I, I, I something to the effect of um, movie reviews um, 
the the reviewers are sort of like it's it's actually really beneficial for them to write a good review because it means that their review will be put on the poster or whatever like that right so it's actually like there's like actual strategy there for reviewers whereas actually when it comes to like shows and stuff bad reviews get more clicks totally it's clickbait totally and so it's it's weird like we're not even actually talking about content anymore at this point you're just sort of like talking about how many eyes were on the thing like analytics and numbers completely so i don't i I, as if i needed a reason to trust reviews less (laughs) like this year and last year has become such a great um bellwether of like wow none of this matters like it's like i can't even use these as information because it is truly some of it's just nasty and i don't i don't um you know part of me wants to be like cool job bro right you wake up in the morning and like psyched to write scathing shit about people that are trying their hardest go eat shit like it's like (laughs) why why what is your editing process like where it's like can i be meaner here but also like who grows up and is like you know what i want to do when i grow up one day I want to like shit on a bunch of people's dreams and then disappear into a dark hallway. Oh, I know. I'll review shows. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have to, I have to think like in my heart that it's, it, it, you grow up wanting something else and then some, someone is just like, well, the numbers, Craig, it's all about the numbers. And then you're like, oh shit, I don't know. And I let me know. say this I'm not in that world at all. Let me also say to the counterpoint, there are some people that write incredible reviews. That's what I'm saying. Uh, Lewis Peitzman. I love Lewis Peitzman. So somebody like that who actually takes his time and actually ingests the material and writes some very, some of it scathing, but, but when you're reading it, you're like, interesting. And it's complete his point of view, not a point of view to try and raise any sort of like drama or I get agree. people riled up. It's really this interesting, um, really like fun to read too. And he's really funny. He's so um, funny. But there's like for every, you know, whatever, Jesse Green, who I don't know Jesse Green personally. I don't know any of those people personally, Ben Brantley or, you know, um, uh, uh, Michael Riedel. Uh, I don't know those people personally. What I do know about them, I'm not a huge fan of. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure that maybe there are parts of them that are lovely and we share a lot of things in common. But just the stuff that I've read, I'm like, this is like a waste. Yeah. Like, try to just do better. Like, do better. Like, re- analyze the shows. That's what I think your job should be. Yeah. And then tell us you liked it or you didn't. And that's okay. You don't have, no one has to like everything. But mm-hmm. like, Tell us that. Don't just say, like, I'm smarter than you. That's not what I want to get out of a review. Yeah. I don't want to feel dumb for reading one, which is why I don't read them. Yeah, I mean, no. no. I, I, I don't either, and I'm not even a performer, so yeah. I can't imagine. I do read, like, BuzzFeed articles, though, so, like, I am kind of still kind of an idiot. But <laughs> I wouldn't say that. But I prefer them <laughs> because they have pictures. Yeah. All right, before we get into Save Beetlejuice, you were talking about your voice a little bit. Yes. So I know you've been asked about this ad, like ad nauseum, but... Yes, I but just, I don't mind talking about it, great, truly. Great, great, great. Because um, I know that there are a lot of... Hamil- I mean, this is the Hamilcast after all, and I want people who maybe are new to Alex Brightman and, and yeah. your whole story. So if you can like start like from the top about your voice, because it's mm-hmm. so cool and so fascinating, and it's like there's a deeper thing to it we were talking about off mic, so... I'm, okay. I'm excited. You have to remind me what that deeper thing is, but I just that like anyone can be Beetlejuice. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, this this short shortened version of a very long story starts with an injury. It's it started with in School of Rock when I hemorrhaged my vocal cords. Um, my right vocal cord all but exploded mid show to where I had to call out because I couldn't phonate. I couldn't make sound, and I thought my career was over. Yes. Um, I, not only that, I just thought like I was never going to talk again. I was really just I couldn't make sound. And it was a really weird thing when somebody who like makes a living, not just singing, but like using my voice to to connect and to convey things, 
it really was this weird existential moment sitting in stage management at the Winter Garden going, I have to come to terms right now that my career might actually be over 10 minutes ago. And it was really crazy. Um, thankfully, I have an amazing ENT who calmed me down mm. and said, come in, we're going to check it out. It's not the end of the world. Um, and if it is, we can find a new world. <laughs> yeah, because um, that's another thing, like like singers or actors, tri- triple threats, you know, the people on the, on this couch have said, like, no one really talks about it. So when it happens, not oh saying my God. it's the same thing that happened to you, no, but it's the same. when there it are is. polyps or, no, or something, and when it happens to you in the middle of a show, Kyle Scatliff, lame is. Um, oh, right. It just, you feel, because no one says anything. Well, yeah, because it's weird, you know, it's, you're supposed to, I don't know why there is this thing. I don't subscribe to this notion that we're indestructible people. It's crazy. We do a show eight times a week and when we're not there people do get upset but it's like they don't have any perspective you of have like diarrhea yes or no <laughs> yes you get it sometimes i got it on stage three weeks ago <laughs> i had to leave the sh- i had food poisoning on stage oh three or four God, weeks ago right. it was about a month month no less than that probably three weeks ago um so mm. like literally people yeah. get diarrhea on stage i'm living proof of that <laughs> um so the end of that really quick uh hemorrhage story is that i you know it I did, in fact, hemorrhage. I saw the pictures of it. Oh, my God. It's as horrifying as it looks. It wasn't as bad as it looked. I was on vocal rest for a week, complete vocal rest, writing things down, no whispering, no nothing. Because whispering, you guys, if you don't know, that hurts even more. Is worse. Yeah. Yeah. It's worse. Um, Keeping your vocal cords completely apart is the the name of the game if you're you're feeling not great. Keep them apart. Steam them. That's really all you can do. Drink water. Um, I came back to do the show. Um, I did a rehearsal. I like wanted to make sure that I wasn't just going to come back and do the same thing. I, you know, modified and it went well. Um, and then it went better and kept getting better. So it healed like a cut, you know, it healed just like it all, you know, it had took some time, but it was fine. And then we ended up making the executive decision that I couldn't do matinees at that point. Cause it just took long. It took so long for my voice to actually get to a point of feeling comfortably, and I, you know, if you've ever heard the score of School of Rock, it's of just it's it sits up in the stratosphere. Yeah. So it's not really like ways to sort of do it down the octave. <laughs> yeah, no, there that's not. Although that would be quite an exciting version of the show. <laughs> not. Then the dreams that I had since the day I turned ten will be finally coming true, and no one will call me a loser again or tell me what I can't do. So I'll hold my head high and keep strumming those strings and grab any chance that my. And so we ended up doing that. And then I, you know, it was mortifying to sort of have to like, um, have to just be like, wow, I'm, because for, by the way, up until that point, I really did think that I was, my voice at least was indestructible because I had sang rock and roll my whole life. Yeah. And really un, not trained rock and roll. So I just like, I had sung, sang punk rock and like, I, it was like, that was what I, where I lived. Right. A punk tenor. You're like everyone singing Motorhead at karaoke, like. I mean, every but I was the kid at karaoke who actually was singing yeah, yeah. it right. You know, I was the one that was like at two in the morning, drunk off whiskey, yeah. singing "Don't Stop Believing" in the natural key and nailing it. Right. So I really was like, okay, 
I have to actually like take a moment and realize that I am not indestructible. And then when the show ended, I, you know, really took care of my voice and had a voice teacher who I still go to now um, and get scoped twice a month. Um, And so when Beetlejuice came along, it was like this amazingly bad problem because it's a show I really wanted to do. And when I read the sides, when I got the audition, it was hysterical. I was laughing reading them. And if you've seen the show, you understand why. It really is genuinely funny. Uh, And not like musical theater funny. And I say that like, you know, it's not just like set up and punchlines. It's like it really grabs you. It's bitingly funny. It like catches you off guard. Totally. And it did when I read it. And so I was very conflicted because I knew that, um, well, conflicted also, I didn't also have the part. I had to go audition for it. This isn't co op, everybody. No, 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 no. No, co op, by the way, the only thing I've been offered my whole life. Just want to say that out loud. Everything else I have auditioned my ass off for. I want to make that very clear. And so I auditioned and I tried my best at doing what I thought when I, you know, sort of a pseudo Michael Keaton in the movie thing. What are your qualifications? Ah, well, I attended Juilliard. I'm a graduate of the Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively. I lived through the Black Plague and I had a pretty good time during that. I've seen The Exorcist about 167 times and it keeps getting funnier every single time I see it. Not to mention the fact that you're talking to a dead guy. Now, what do you think? It went well, and I was in the room for all but seven minutes, you know, and, and left. And I was like, that was fun. I think I did a good job. Found out I was going to, you know, do the reading, which was a blast just to be able to help. And that's sort of how I'm known here in, in New York is I do a ton of readings because people have gained a trust that if you bring me into the room, I can help elevate material. I just do. I don't say no. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm happy to just yes and. And, and it's where I come from yeah. in that world and sketch and improv. And I just have no... I don't have fear that like of being wrong. Yeah, yeah. Because there's no wrong when you're in a rehearsal room, really. Totally. Um, and so I just started playing around and it was fun. And, and then once it started to feel like they were really kind of attaching me to the show, I had to really kind of figure this out because I didn't want to have another School of Rock situation. Yeah. And I knew I would if I started to just really just go for it. So I started like researching, honestly, just Googling like weird voices and like just kind of took me down this weird rabbit hole of like, voiceover artists and voice techniques and then i stumbled upon this thing on reddit um, <laughs> when i wasn't looking for it by yeah, the way yeah. this was like me just like scanning reddit like at two in the morning like you know and i was like yeah. just sc- scanning for like funny videos and i found this video called it was a video of a guy tuvan throat singing t-u-v-a-n throat singing mm-hmm. and it's like in Antarctica, I believe and um and i correct me if i'm wrong i hope i don't get like backlash for that it's it's somewhere um um not in America. Okay. Yeah, um, but you can look it up. It's fascinating. And it's a guy who is legitimately singing uh, in his native tongue with two different tones in his voice. So he's able to make this tone, e, and using the cartilage and the top of his throat here, more closer to where your tongue is and uh-huh. where your throat actually is, um, he's able to squeeze, like, you know, squeeze his cartilage together so he can make this tone, e, and on top of it, if he rattles the other stuff, it creates another tone, so it sounds like this. I'll do it together and then I'll separate them. Okay. E. You can hear almost like a harmonic, right? Totally. So it's e, which is like essentially tube and throat singing. It sounds kind of like I'm gonna do a bad job of it, but it's like it's like that kind of stuff. And oh my god, I got fascinated because it kind of did sound 
you know, if used correctly in the way I wanted to, it could sound monstrous. It could sound kind of like a monster and some interesting. And it didn't sound unlike a thing that I would imagine, like the Beetlejuice cartoon. Yes. Who I, which I also ended up, you know, looking up. Day oh, is the day oh, daylight come and me one go shopping. <sighs> well, here I am at the Neither World Shocking Mall with grossness wall to wall. But am I shopping for myself? No! I have to buy some for her. You see, I met Lily one year ago tomorrow, and while she says it's... Our anniversary. I was like, that kind of sounds like the guy that does this, and but it also sounds like something different. So I got really interested in it, and I just sort of brought it to my vocal coach, and I was like, I sort of can do it. I was like, I feel like I can do it. It doesn't hurt when I do this. And it only kind of tickles slightly. And he's like, the slight For tickle. Well, he's like, the slight tickle's not a good sign. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and when people try to do it, they end up coughing. And, you know, it's yeah. like, uh, but so then we found a way to really isolate, just like somebody can wiggle their ears or flare their nostrils and, mm-hmm. um, or like bodybuilders can like move their pecs in the same way. It's cartilage. So I can squeeze it together and isolate it. So I can turn it on and off, and you know, whenever I want, I can do it without warming up. It's not really something that needs to be warmed up. It's just a voice that exists in my body. Um, and people have noticed that when I do the voice, my face changes a little uh-huh. bit. 100%. <laughs> I can't not do it without sort of getting the sort of squint in my left eye totally. and my teeth going. Yep. Um, but It's very cool. <laughs> and thanks, because it took about a year. I say a year, but it's like, you know, we did a ton of workshops over the course of this one year. Um, and I'm bad with dates, so whatever. What yeah. something in the last four years, um, that I just kept figuring it out, and then all of a sudden, just like when you're trying to memorize lines or you're trying to do anything, you wake up one morning, and you kind of go, "I know how to do that. Uh-huh. I got it. I landed on it. Well, I, I got, got it. it. It's just now yeah. it's second nature. Now I totally. can't not do it. Like totally. I, now I can't do it without thinking about anything else. So now it's just one of those things that is a party trick. Yeah, it's just a total parlor trick that I could do out of a nap. Like you could wake me up out of a nap and go do the Beatles voice, and I can go, "Okay, I can do it right now." <laughs> it's not a thing that is it doesn't take me any warming up to do it I have to warm up my real vocal cords before the show because uh-huh. I do have to actually sing sure and it's not always just on this yeah so it's like there's a variation if you see the show it's very calculated where I turn it on and off I want freedom but to get my freedom I need them to get a living person to say my name Yeah? Well, that was a soliloquy. So you're the one who's being rude. Whatever it takes to make them go crazy. But yeah, it took me a long time because I did not want to screw this up. And I am happy to say, and this is me patting myself on the back, and I do want to put this out there, we're about to have, uh, have done our 30, 333rd show coming up, which is amazing because we didn't think we were going to run anyway, which was great. <laughs> um, but I've only taken about 12 shows off, and six of them were to shoot a movie. So I, wow. I have, I have, and I have not had to take a show off. I'll say this. I have not had to take a show off due to my voice. It has either been, I just needed a, a day off yeah, well, after yeah, that much allowed. time. 100%. Uh, or I was, or it was a personal day where I was doing something else Great. or another, but, but I have not because of the work I've done and because of the amazing work, the people that I have studied with yeah. that they've done, 
I'm, I have been able to do this voice literally without fail. That's a cheers to that. And that really is incredible. Put I'll cheers really, to that. Yeah. Pat for yourself real. on the back for that. That's well, incredible. That's, it's you, a thing that I try to off for it. Yeah. Good. That story I think is important because a lot of young people and I say young people again, I'm 33. So like I still feel young, but there are like, I, I teach a lot of classes and I see these people who think that they've done their work and that's great, but they haven't. <laughs> and like hard work is hard work and hard work pays off. And I think that like that story is a good testament of like, sure, I could have like half, half asked what I just did, what I just told you, and probably still made it work. But now I'm 100% con not concerned. And it just makes my job easier and more fun. It's the peace of mind too. You know, well, that and you it can allows do it. me to put that part on autopilot so I can actually be creative every night. Exactly. And I think that's the that's what you're hoping for when you do a cool role like this. And so I always like to say this story out loud and talk about this voice thing because I am inspired when young people are already doing their work thinking that their career is already happening because right. that's true yeah and yeah, they're yeah. like i can't wait to have a career i'm like you it, you're this is it you're doing it's it right now yeah. it's you talking about your career is you doing it and that excites me so do the work um and don't half-ass it don't be like it's good enough because you know why because if they're if they're like you know 25 or 30 they're gonna audition and they're gonna do like whatever they think is a good job mm -hmm. and then the next person that walks in the room is me <laughs> so like that's the I always tell them that I go like you know imagine that I'm coming in next and I obsess over this stuff yeah so please you know I, I want I dare people to take my jobs I would love that like nothing would make me happier than to watch a better version of me because I'm a huge fan of musical theater it wouldn't right. it wouldn't depress me yeah, it would yeah. make me excited to be like oh my god I have to do better than him yeah yeah, yeah, it's just, fun. Yeah, it's like what we were talking about before about Hamilton. Like, you could either like resent the thing, or you can be excited to be. Tell me in, more. You know, I want to know that. I who are you? When you said that, yeah. why are you? How are how you? How are you? Right. <laughs> um, Not just how are you today, but like how. But to get to the thing you wanted to talk about, which I think is doubly as important, is that the the second biggest question I get of in Beetlejuice is uh, of the first one I get is how do you do the voice? Is I get it every day. Yeah. And I have no problem explaining. I have I've I have narrowed it down to like a thirty to forty five second elevator pitch. It's great. I at love this it. point. Um and the second question I get all the time is what the hell do your understudies do? If you've taken all this time, did they also and I go, No. What the great thing that we've done with Beetlejuice and had the time to do, we this is four years running now, like of of having to like with like when we started with the show and with people got you know with development and all that is that we figured out like Beetlejuice is like kind of this incredible open sort of an open source character that is constantly can constantly change and evolve and within the constraint even within the constraints of the show be something completely different than the thing I have presented as the original one right um in the musical because you even look back at the movie it's not even close and you look at the cartoon it's not what i'm doing right I'm doing something else but my understudy my standby will blum who covered me in school of rock too and mm -hmm. is an excellent and ridiculously talented dude yep. and also just a sweetheart and i couldn't have been happier when they were like will blum's gonna be your standby i was like oh my yes! god again That's it was awesome. incredible That's and i so love cool. when he goes on I, pr I i promote when he's on if i have totally. to go i'm you know i think people should go see and here's the reason is because he does a completely different Beetlejuice than I do. He barely does a voice. He barely does the thing. And it still works. And here's why. It's because Beetlejuice can be anything. Beetlejuice is not a man, a woman, a, uh, any, I mean, he's not a man a or a thing. woman. It's he's Beetlejuice a is a demon. And, and, and demon, by the way, doesn't necessarily in our show mean a bad thing. It yep. just means what he is. It's class, it's a classification. Um, and so there is, I've said this before, but I think it's worth saying a lot of times is that Beetlejuice should be played by all sorts of people 
it's it, it it almost a requirement like think like it should that just even to like um like crash test it mm-hmm. should be played by a woman and to crash test it to be played by a trans person and mm-hmm. because i'm sure that they will find where the speed bumps are like there's a song called creepy old guy uh-huh. okay how do we fix that? If, right, right, so, and and it, it, that's the title of the song. So, how do we fix that? Right, right. And I think Beetlejuice, in general, as a show, for how much we've done rewriting for like the Today Show, the Tony Awards, and and all that kind of stuff, that, the Thanksgiving parade, Thanksgiving Day parade, so good. We done like four times at this point. Like, who's to say we can't? Eddie can't just go back in and make it creepy old gal or creepy, you know, whatever or whatever. And because I think that the, like the pronouns of of Beetlejuice is he the character because currently you're he you're a he yeah and for the last four years it's been me and will and um my my other city's name is abe so three guys yeah who 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 are guys are he he him they and that's how we want to be referred are playing beetlejuice currently but for the future of the show who the fuck knows yeah and who the fuck should give a shit is like is the thing is that our show (laughs) you know if, if you if you have to suspend your disbelief to believe that like you know, ghosts are real, sandworms can come out of nowhere, mm-hmm. and, you know, all this stuff. If, if you are on board with all the stuff that we present in our show, but have a problem that Beetlejuice is being played by a trans person, look. you have to sincerely take a quick look and go, but you believe in sandworms, though, right? right? Yeah, okay, just want to make you're, sure. You're on board with the sandworms. You're on sandworms, but you think a woman can't play Beetlejuice. Ooh, right, I see where yeah. your priorities look, lie. I'm looking at Anissa Folds from Freestyle Love Supreme. I think she'd be a fucking excellent Beetlejuice. I oh think my she God, that would be amazing. she'd be incredible. I mean, first of all, anybody who has any type of like improv and comedy chops and yeah. sort of can think on their feet like that, which, by the way, I love improv, and I love Freeze, I love Supreme. There's no way I could do the it's things the that most they terrifying. do. It's no, so terrifying. There's no way. I think- I'll do improv all day long, <laughs> totally. but I can't do it to a beat. Mm-mm. No, no, no. I like drunkenly promised um, Andrew Bancroft, who is known as Jelly D in FLS. He was over on Thursday. Pretty sure I haven't listened to the audio yet. Oh uh, no! Pretty sure I promised that I would uh, apply to the academy, and, I, and even talking to you about it now, Alex, I feel nervous. You I should can't be. Do it. I'm terrified. No, I don't think you know. You I have can't do it. no. Mm-mm. It's a special skill mm. that is hard to learn, I imagine. And I am it, it also terrifies me as well. Yeah. But the point is, you if you're listening at home and you feel, I don't have the Alex Brightman voice, I'm a woman, I'm a trans, it doesn't matter. Good. You shouldn't have the Alex Brightman voice. We already have an Alex Brightman. He there exists. I'm him. Don't be me. Be you. We already have me. I have that covered until I'm dead. So, right. and, and the minute I die, start doing impressions of me. But until then, let me do me and you do you. Nothing is better than the thing that you are. That's a thing I love, always love to promote is that like, if you like Lindsay Mendez or you like Lynn or you like Leslie or, or you know, now with Anthony. Um, Ramos. Yeah. Yeah. Um, being like, you know, this meteoric rise to fame, which Superstar. is amazing. Superstar. It's the best. Yeah. And it couldn't happen to a cooler person. Uh, when you get him on this couch, yeah. it's going to be such, it's be, it'll be worth the wait. He I is know. such a joy to talk to. I can't wait. Um, but it's, don't do that. I mean, if you, you, emulating is really cool and fun, but like, you'll never understand who you really are until you kind of try to find your own voice. Right. And you're a perfect person to talk about that because you're, Dewey Finn and Beetlejuice existed in classic movies right. before you brought them to Broadway and which was its own terrifying yeah and it's know? its own terrifying thing to try and take a beloved source material that people really have latched themselves onto and at least 
try to let people entertain the idea that maybe we can do something else. And right. that's all we wanted to do. We didn't want to say, forget about the movie, forget about the cartoon. Yeah, that's impossible. You can't. <laughs> I mean, it's, and we are, for all intents and purposes, the third rung on the ladder, which is fine with us. And we, you know, um, we exist, la we existed third. So a lot of people just are like, it's Beetlejuice the movie or bust, and that's fine. Mm. But even those people have come to see our show and are like, we don't even think of it as an adaptation. We just think of it as its own thing, and we love it too. Yeah. Which has become our biggest, I think, um, source of honor. Totally. Is that we get the purists to say, we still love our movie, but this is something we love equally and separately, which is so fun. Yeah. I think that's how people should consider it. I mean, like a good adaptation anyway should have its own point of view. I think it shouldn't just be the movie on stage. So I think like what we've done is really done what Anthony and Scott, who wrote the show, Anthony King and Scott Brown, um, what we're doing, I think that they have very astutely called a like the best fan fiction of the movie and cartoon you could possibly see. It's perfect. Yeah, it's I a think perfect so. way to say. I it. agree. Yeah. yeah. Dated schmated. See? Told you you'd still love it. And you know what's not dated? Pretty much everything else Alex said. And my love of co-op. Oh, and my love for Kevin. Yeah, that's unwavering. All right, next week, Alex is back for part two as we talk about the Save Beetlejuice movement and take questions from the Patreon peeps. And there's a ton of love for David Corns because, of course... Lastly, I just want to say that as the world is ever-changing these days, what we're talking about in these episodes can now serve as a reminder for all the truly wonderful things we have to look forward to when the lights come back up. So thank you as always for joining me and we'll hang out next week with Alex Brightman. Until then, stay safe, stay healthy, stay inside if you can. I love you. I'm G.Pen. is brought to you by my love of the thing, TM, and my complete lack of chill. Please join me in raising all the glasses to Sir Alex Lackamore for generously making my intro music and this custom Yorktown arrangement that I will never, ever get over. Thank you, thank you, thank you. To become a Patreon peep and get the chance to ask questions to guests, get tons of behind-the-scenes access, and join the best, kindest, and most welcoming corner of the internet, go to patreon.com slash thehamilcast. I love you guys. Thank you. Hashtag Team No Chill. I'm at The Hamilcast on all social media, and you can listen wherever you get your podcasts. The Residuals is my web series with my husband, Mike, you know Mike, and can be found at theresiduals.tv. True Crime Obsessed is my true crime comedy podcast with my podcast soulmate and Broadway royalty, Patrick Hines of Theater People and Broadway Backstory fame. Thank you again so much for listening. It means the world to me. To the revolution! revolution.